Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this short course, this set of talks uh, that will focus on uh, soul making, imaginal practice, uh, related ideas like eros, etc., and add to what we've talked about over the last uh, several years around these themes, around <clears throat> what they mean, what they might mean, what uh, they mean um, in the Dharma, and for the Dharma, how they might uh, also expand and stretch and enrich in and uh, deepen or dimensionalize our uh, understanding, our sense of what Dharma practice is, what it can open up, where it can go, etc. Actually, if I'm if I'm really honest, uh, I know I know this will change, but right now I'm feeling a little bit ambivalent about giving more talks um, on these uh, themes. Um, there's already <coughs> uh, you're aware. There's already quite a, a large edifice of. Um, teachings around these, around this subject, soul making, etc., in the Dharma, and it's a lot. You know, it's a lot to digest. It's a lot to come to terms with, to uh, get under one's belt in terms of practice. It's a lot to <coughs> understand. It's a lot for the heart to open to. It's not simple. You know, I'm really aware of that, and it's quite new in terms of uh, dif- being different from the usual cultural ways of uh, seeing the world, feeling ourselves, sensing existence, and also uh, quite different from uh, a, a number of, um, let's say, uh, other Dharma approaches or other um, <coughs> uh, perspectives on what Dharma is and can be. So I know it's a lot, and uh, I'm feeling a little ambivalent just in this moment. I'm sure it'll change, but uh, just to, to uh, not kind of wanting to add too much more to that edifice at this point, um, not wanting um, to give you too much to overload you, uh, to 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 put too much out too fast. Um, that might be gobbled up in a way that gives you indigestion or confusion, etc. So there's a certain kind of pacing. Um, that I think is necessary to give attention to and kind of mature reflection to in in the uh, appropriation and approach and digestion to these teachings. Um, so I don't want to add a lot of new material. I won't be adding a lot of really new material, new ideas and kind of whole new directions. And I, I won't really be doing that. Rather, the, the, this set of talks is, is kind of, um, ex, uh, how would you say, um, supplementing or elaborating or um, uh, um, clarifying previous material um, that we've already put out. Um, now, I'm not, on the other hand, going to repeat um, everything that we've gone through in the last few years in terms of laying out that whole edifice again, explaining what we mean um, by all these terms and, and ways of practice. <clears throat> um, rather, I, I hope in these talks to uh, be able to clarify a little bit um, and supplement some of what, what was already said, um, where where it's needed, where clarification, where it seems so far that clarification and supplementation might be needed, just in terms of what um, we're getting back from people. Um, so, an attempt to clarify certain um, aspects, themes, elements, and fill out some uh, some of the strands of of uh, and. and elements of uh, what, what we've done and the implications, um, perhaps show just a, f- a few possible um, directions for extending practice. Um, as I said, I'm aware it's a lot already, a lot to take on um, in terms of practice possibilities and the skills that, and, and the 
art that that requires and the, and the know-how and the capacities that that requires, um, as well as just intellectually. So for the heart, the soul, the practice, the mind, it's a lot. So <clears throat> really the purpose is not to add more, but rather to uh, supplement and clarify what, what's already uh, been put out there in order that you can digest more and understand better. Now, all of this, um, in these talks and uh, in the past talks of, of, of the, a lot of the past talks from the last couple of retreats, perhaps, it's all going to sound, uh, certainly these sorts will all sound pretty abstract, pretty, as uh, someone put it, uh, bizarre and baffling, um, unless you've done quite a bit of experimenting, serious experimenting, with imaginal practice uh, and eros in practice and what we're calling uh, soul-making, uh, when we use these words, imaginal eros, soul-making, and general dharma practice, mindfulness and samadhi and metta and uh, some understanding of emptiness and all that. All of what we're going to talk about in these talks will sound pretty, let's say, abstract, puzzling. It won't. It will be hard to recognize uh, the, the value in it without quite a bit of grounding and intimate familiarity with with these kind of practices. If that is there, then, uh, or the, to the degree that is there, um, I think, I hope, that some of the discriminations that we'll make or the clarifications, um, you'll really recognize their value and recognize the significance of these discriminations and nuances and really see their relevance. Um, but without that practice, um, yeah, pro- probably will sound a bit a bit strange. All this, or just not not very interesting, a little kind of irrelevant. Okay, now in the first talk, uh, or the first group of talks, depending on how you count, um, <clears throat> so might divide them into parts. Um, and in this first talk, I want to um, take a look uh, in, a, in a bit more detail this word imaginal that we've been using. Now, I want to uh, clarify um, what we mean, what Catherine and I are meaning when we use that word imaginal. As I'm aware, it's um, it, it's a little bit in vogue in certain circles right now, and, and, um, and it's used in uh, there's plenty of overlap between the way different people are using it, but there are also certain really significant differences, really significant differences. And it's not to say one's better or worse or right or wrong, I'm not interested in any of that. But in terms of what we're trying to lay out and put forward, um, in terms of that kind of edifice of, of teaching and conceptual framework and practice idioms, um, it is quite important that w- we're all on the same page about what we really mean when we use the word imaginal. Um, so I want to cl- hopefully clarify that a little more. Um, really, that will involve reiterating and re-emphasizing certain aspects uh, or elements of what that means, this word imaginal or imaginal experience, um, that may easily have been uh, missed um, in, in past teachings or haven't been clear enough or whatever. Um, for lots of different reasons. Um, Secondly, in this first group of talks, um, uh, also in order to help clarify what what do we mean and what are we talking about, what's involved in these practices, I want to actually introduce a new term, um, a new vocabulary, uh, which is sensing with soul. Sensing with soul. Now I want to add this, not replace that word imaginal. Now I'm aware some people really don't get on with the word imaginal. Some people love it. Some people love it but could could use a little more understanding actually of what, what that means and the discriminations as I just said. And and some people might prefer this, this phrase sensing with soul. So it's not so much a new concept when I say when I, I'll explain what I mean as we as we go through this this talk, this, uh, these first group of talks. It's not so much a new concept or a new practice or a new way of looking. It's really just another language for some of, uh, or quite a bit, of what we've already been talking about. It's almost, we might say, it's 
almost identical with the word imaginal or imaginally, perceiving imaginally or whatever. It's almost identical. They're almost interchangeable. And if I'll remember to, I'll use... I'm quite happy with the word imaginal, but if I remember to, I'll try and use them roughly 50-50 and you can kind of gravitate to whatever word you prefer. But hopefully the, the most important thing rather than the words is the is the understanding. So hopefully by introducing this... Uh, different term it will it will open up and, and increase the understanding and make fuller the understanding and more precise the understanding of of what we're talking about uh, so when I say and I'll, as I said I'll explain more when I say sensing with soul when I use that that term I do mean uh, to include in that term in that uh, phrase sensing with soul um, the perception of intrapsychic images. I close my eyes and I see whatever it is, an image of uh, a wise old man or, you know, whatever it is. Um, an intra, so-called intrapsychic image. And uh, so it includes that. That's part of sensing with souls, with the, with the inner senses, we might say, the inner vision of the mind's eye or whatever. Um, uh, we, we see something. Um, an intra, so-called intrapsychic image, that's part of sensing the soul, but another part of sensing the soul, and equally important, is the perceiving of this material world that we live in, and, and others, and objects, and things, and trees, and whatever it is, and perceiving them imaginally. So when we've talked about, when you use this word imaginal, we've actually been including this, this perception of the world imaginally. And uh, so another way of understanding all this, uh, rather than the word imaginal, is sensing with soul. And I'll f- try and fill this out more as we go along. So that's the second aspect uh, in the first talk group of talks. The third is um, a little of the how. So there's some of the what. What do we mean by these words imaginal? What do we mean by sensing the soul? What exactly do we mean? What's involved? Um, a little of the what and a little about the how. Sometimes I hear from people, it sounds really interesting, I really want to develop this, but I don't get images. Uh, I don't get images, therefore it must be irrelevant to me. So I want to address um, the, the practitioner who... Uh, thinks that is the case for themselves, that they don't get images. What might we uh, uh, develop in practice? How might that develop in practice um, beyond that statement, I don't get images? What needs to be understood? What needs to be developed? How can it be developed? Um, Or someone who's maybe listening then to this um, more nuanced and uh, (coughs) finely discriminating definition of what imaginal means, and then says, hmm, I get images, but now I listen to what you say about what what imaginal means. I'm not sure they're imaginal, um, which is a really good thing to be aware of. And so how might that practitioner or practitioner in that that boat um, be be, uh, addressed and and helped um, in, in practice? In other words, what allows uh, some object of the imagination to become imaginal. What supports that? Or someone says someone says to me, I, I only get intrapsychic images, so called intrapsychic I haven't found a better word, but um, so called intrapsychic image, I don't really get what you mean when you talk about things like cosmopoasis or seeing someone imaginally or or this uh, sensing with soul. So also sensing the world with soul. What uh, what might be offered to such a practitioner that feels that they only get intrapsychic images, and the uh, and the opposite, if you like, or the complementary practitioner who uh, says, I I I I get this kind of perceiving the world. Um, as sacred and the sense of divinity in nature, and and that how that how the understanding and the practice of emptiness opens that up and legitimizes it. But I don't get any intrapsychic images, and I don't know I don't know how how does that happen. So I also want to say something uh, that hopefully will be helpful for such a practitioner as that. 
Um, so, with regard to practice, um, hopefully a little about um, so say getting or better receiving images, opening to images, um, a little about how um, objects of the imagination uh, might be, s- uh, how we can support them to become more fully imaginal, and what is it, uh, again, about practice, what is it, how can we uh, support uh, a sensing with soul, a sensing of the world, self, other world objects, things, material objects in the world, sensing the soul. What supports that movement uh, to that kind of opening of perception? So that's the third uh, kind of <coughs> domain about practice that I hope to weave into this first group of talks. And lastly, just a little bit, fourthly, just a little bit about, a little bit more about um, some of the assumptions and implications in what we're saying. So really a little bit more, again, I know I've touched on it quite a bit in the past, but just a little bit about some of the philosophical dimensions and um, aspects of, of, of this whole subject. Um, specifically, and again, I know I've touched on it before, but specifically about ontology, that is um, the question of what is real, or what are we assuming is real in the world, in ourselves, in others, um, uh, as that is so central in 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 terms of what's... Uh, Looking at that question of ontology is so central in terms of what gives a foundation to these practice, these practices, and this this kind of whole outlook and this whole conceptual framework, but also is part of what gets opened up. Our whole sense of reality can be opened up, questioned, challenged, extended, etc. Um, and complementary to that is the whole philosophical area of epistemology, which is how do we know? How does a human being know? I know I'm uh, sitting on a chair right now, and I know it's knowledge. I know that, um, and everyone would agree. You can see me, Rob, sitting on a chair, um, and we just say, "Well, I take that knowledge for granted." And then, when we get more into the imaginal or sensing the world with soul, uh, then this question of how can I claim knowledge? How can I claim this as knowledge? Most of society, contemporary Western society, discredits, discounts um, that kind of perception as any kind of uh, knowing of anything real. So again. Um, these practices and these concepts and these ideas and these sharings push on and uh, break open or extend our uh, epistemological notions. Uh, they call them into question and they also rely on a questioning of epistemology, a, a, a penetrating kind of assessment and investigation of epistemology of what knowledge is for a human being and what counts as knowledge, what counts as knowing something. I don't mean intellectually knowing something, I mean knowing something with the senses as well, or the intuition, knowing something with the heart. We'll go into this a little bit. So I just want to touch on these areas. So those are the the four main sort of um, themes and strands that I want to weave together in, in this first group of talks. Let's make a start and focus a little bit on this word imaginal. And uh, it seems to me that in various ways this word imaginal is uh, confusing for some people or not clear. <coughs> really, its meaning is not clear for uh, perhaps for many people. And sometimes a person is aware of their confusion uh, or uh, their lack of clarity as to the meaning of the word imaginal. And other times they're not uh, so aware. They're not even aware that they're confused. The conception that they have is confused. The idea is confused. um, And they're not aware that they're not clear. So as we said, um, it may be better for some people to use... uh, uh, to gravitate towards this this uh, 
term phrase that I'm introducing now called sensing with soul uh, may be for some people more helpful uh, for them to use that to get to get uh, a better understanding and a better feel uh, and approach to practice <clears throat> with the imaginal. So if we, if we think about the imagination for uh, a moment, and we can see that uh, very easily that the imagination is certainly part of being, being a, a human being. Uh, it's a faculty of, of the human being. Um, but there's, at least to my mind, at least clearly a difference uh, between what we might call uh, papancha and the way the imagination spins uh, in in uh, in in a state of papancha of proliferation, he she looked at me a certain way or didn't look at me a certain way, and now I believe uh, they're evil or this or I'm a loser or whatever it is, and uh, I spin off the imagination spins off, creating uh, catastrophic scenarios in in the future or whatever it is. Uh, so clearly, there's that kind of use of the imagination or ensnarement in the imagination run uh, riot there. Uh, very different than a mindful use of the imagination. For example, in meta practice, I'm imagining my friend and uh, keeping uh, the image of her, the sense of her, whether that's a visual image or not, keeping the sense of her mindfully in in uh, in the consciousness and radiating uh, uh, the intention or energy of metta towards him, towards her, towards them. Uh, and there's a, a deliberate and mindful use of the imagination. Clearly very different than the use of the imagination for pancha. And maybe even that uh, use of the imagination is not just mindful, but quite embodied. In other words, my energy body, my awareness of the energy body is, t- is really uh, integrated seamlessly in that experience of uh, mindful imagination, for example, in, in meta practice. So that I have the sense of my friend, um, the image of them, and the sense of the awareness of the energy body, and the intention of the metta, and, and all that kind of uh, harmoniously woven together in, in, in the embodied mindful imagination in the metta practice. And certainly that's how I would tend to emphasize uh, uh, the practice of, of metta and how I would teach it. Uh, and then there might be um, the, uh, a healing image, the use of a healing image. So, um, for example, we talked about um, the figure of love in the imagination um, um, a few retreats ago. And so it could be even someone like Tara, uh, or a deity like Tara, or the Buddha, or Jesus, or uh, your grandma, or, or whatever it is. And one, again, uh, with mindfulness and with the energy body awareness, is aware of this image, and uh, there's healing flowing there towards one. Can really, really helpful. So there's papancha, there's mindful imagination, there's embodied imagination, there's um, healing imagination or a healing image, and then there's the imaginal. And we could make more gradations as well. What do we mean by this word imaginal? Because it's uh, certainly uh, more than, let's say, more is implied and included than in those other um, examples of, of sort of categories of, of use of the imagination, papancha, mindful imagination, embodied imagination, healing, healing imagination, etc. When we use the word imaginal, we mean something more than that. So, I want to tread carefully here, and let's, let's maybe open up the idea of a spectrum. There's a spectrum of, we could say spectrum of the use of the imagination, in, in what I've just outlined, from Papantra on one side all the way to, let's say, the imaginal on the other. Well, we could say that's the spectrum of the imaginal, and it's all 
we get more and more towards the, uh, if you like, authentic or fully imaginal. And there's a spectrum of experience with the imagination. What do we mean when we use this word imaginal? Now, as I pointed out earlier briefly, um, people have used and do still use that word differently. It was originally coined by Henri Corbin, um, but different people have picked it up in different kinds of uh, psychotherapeutic modalities and other kinds of um, directions have have picked it up and, and use it differently from each other. So I really, really don't believe in a right or wrong here. Uh, people are free to use words whatever way they want, and um, I'm certainly not interested in saying I'm right or someone else is wrong or anything like that. Um, but there is a particular way that we are using it, a particular way are using it, that we are using that word imaginal that is, in fact, not... Uh, completely the same as the way uh, Henri Corbin used it, or the way James Hillman used it, or um, the way Tom Cheatham might use it, or uh, Philip Pullman, although I don't know his work very well, or Mary Watkins. Now, many of those people, are, except Philip Pullman, I, whose work I don't know, I, they have these people have been uh, very important to me personally, and very influential, and very dear to me. Um, and what they have contributed to um, certainly my my relationship, my explorations of all this. Um, but still, there are some differences. Uh, we are using it in quite particular ways. There's a lot of overlap, of course, and similarities between um, the, the, the way this word is used among different sort of groups. But there are differences. <clears throat> and the same, in fact, is true of the term soul-making that we're using. Again, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a niche word, but it's relatively common uh, these days. And again, words like eros or soul or logos, all these words are used differently um, by different people. And there's a, quite a bit of overlap and similarity, I'm sure, and some very... Um, I would say, significant differences and important differences that actually um, mean that the whole trajectory of practice and understanding and revelation, if you like, unfolds differently depending on how the words are, how the terms are conceived in the first place and thus how practice is approached and what then unfolds. So, if I were to uh, very briefly throw out a list of what is involved as, an, as a, a list of aspects of the imaginal, as we are using that word, uh, a list of aspects of uh, what is involved in the, if you like, the constellation of the imaginal, different aspects that kind of come together to make up the fully imaginal as we use that term. If I were to throw a, a list out briefly, and I do this as I say with quite a lot of caution and really trying to walk a tightrope here between, um, uh, if you like, helpful precision and uh, uh, precision of discernment on the one hand and kind of um, daunting sort of pedantry on, on, the, on the other side. I, I really want to be quite careful here. And uh, you'll, you'll hear perhaps my own ambivalence about the whole thing. But for the sake of clarity and bringing more life and color and uh, beauty, in fact, and power to this whole direction of practice, if we just... Um, throw out a list very briefly. We'll come back to these elements or aspects of the imaginal in more detail um, later on. But um, if we say, what are some of the aspects or elements in, uh, if you like, the constellation of the imaginal? What kind of nodes are involved in, in making an imaginal experience? So I'll throw these out very quickly and we'll come back to them. Um, I'm deliberately not numbering them. 
um, I uh, if you if, you know I roughly roughly count eighteen, but that also depends on how you divide them up because one might count one might count as one item on the list and actually be involve several aspects to it, so it might count as more. But um, and there's a reason as well again for me not being too. Um, precise, but if I threw out roughly eighteen elements of what's involved in uh, an imaginal experience, one would be love and being loved. Love and being loved. Uh, I, I've talked about most of these, almost all of them, I'm sure, before uh, in different talks. And again, right now, I'm not going to go into detail. We'll pick up. Uh, many of these as we go on in this first group of talks. But the first one, uh, first aspect is love and being loved. Second, eros. Again, I'm not going to go into what that means and define it. We've talked a lot about it before. It's different. It's more than love and being loved. So love and being loved. Eros is second. A third is beauty. Beauty is involved in the imaginal. A fourth is a sense of dimensionality, if you like, depth, but a dimensionality that issues or eventually uh, kind of opens out into a sense of divinity. So that would be a fourth. Dimensionality uh, opening out to a sense of divinity. A fifth and related one would be a sense of uh, beyondness. Uh, not complete transcendence, but an image has a sense for us of there's more than I can quite get my head around or grasp or even see or sense right now. It has more for me to move into. And actually so much more that one intuits a sense of unfathomability to uh, the image. Uh, Another aspect is autonomy that the image uh, is not sensed as just a part of me or an element of my consciousness, etc. It has its own, um, if you like, somewhat distinct autonomy, its own somewhat distinct independent being, um, so that there is a two-ness. Two-ness is an aspect of the constellation of the imaginal. There's me, and there's this image this imaginal object or person. And even if it is an object, um, this book, for instance, may be imaginal to me, um, as the imaginal sense deepens, there is a two-ness of person, of personhood. It's as if the book is also or has also a soul, an intelligence. And so there's this autonomy, there's this kind of distinct uh, two-ness, yet the boundaries are uh, not definite. There's a kind of softness or blurring of boundaries of the imaginal object. So that's six or seven so far. Um, There is also, number eight, uh, what I would like to call a kind of infinite echoing or infinite mutual mirroring between the image and me or my life. You or your life, if it's your image, obviously. There's a kind of infinite echoing and mirroring between the two. I'll I'll come back to what I mean by this later, as I said. Um, So this includes meaningfulness. The, The image is Pregnant, full, super abundant with meaningfulness, uh, a sense of meaningfulness for us, for the subject, but uh, we cannot quite grasp or um, delimit or totally articulate or define uh, the, the, the totality of that meaningfulness, the complete meaningfulness. But it's pregnant with that, it has that sense of meaningfulness to us. Meaning is a part of meaningfulness. Um, so yes, it has. It may well have meanings as well, but meaningfulness is even bigger than meaning or meanings plural. And in that, perhaps ninth, um, it's not 
the image, we are not reducing the image to it only means this, it only represents that, it only is this. There's not a, a limitation or a reduction of the image in any way. Another element is that um, there's a quality of what I call theatre to uh, the imaginal, meaning it's powerful. Uh, it it has an effect. It moves us. It stirs our soul like good theatre, and it's intimate like good theatre. But we know that it's theatre. It's neither real nor not real. Rather, either one of those doesn't feel quite right. There's what I also call sometimes the imaginal middle way between real and not real. It's a really crucial part of the imaginal, the theatre, the imaginal middle way. I've lost count now, but it's about ten, I think. Um, The imaginal is not a non-conceptual experience. Even such an experience is is really possible uh, or, or to, for a human being to have. <coughs> um, the imaginal is definitely not non-conceptual. Implicit in the imaginal, in the constellation of the imaginal, in the experience of the imaginal, is a logos, is some kind of conceptual framework, some kind of conception of what is going on. Now it might be very loose and uh, quite open and unarticulated, but it's not a non-conceptual experience. And the imaginal, and that whole realm of the imaginal, involves logos, involves the mind in that way, the, uh, the, the conceptuality. Next, uh, an imaginal image has a quality of uh, what we might call eternality to it. Um, timelessness. Something is different in the sense of time that uh, pertains to an image or that an image uh, inhabits, if you like. Um, Again, we'll come back to all this, and I've mentioned much of it before. Uh, Next, humility is an element in the constellation of the imaginal. Uh, We feel humble in uh, relationship to the image. That's a quite loaded word, and again, I'll revisit this. Um, So, for some people, I'm not quite sure what that means, or or it gets too squeezed, that word. But humility, I'd like to explore a little bit what that means. And also, next, reverence. Reverence. Uh, And grace. Um, when uh, an object uh, is imaginal for us, whether it's a purely so-called intrapsychic image or something in the material world that has become imaginal, there's a sense of grace there, of kind of inexplicable gift, uh, a, 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 an overflowing, a bestowing on us from something greater, a sense of grace. And another kind of defining uh, element or aspect or quality of uh, the imaginal is that it it leads to, it brings with it a sense of soul-making, um, a sense of soulfulness. As I said, it stirs and engages and ignites our soul with full of, of resonances and richnesses. Uh, what does that mean? So I'm making, we'll come back to this, and I've touched on it a lot before, but basically the eros-psyche-logos dynamic is stimulated and starts to expand and deepen and enrich and mutually fertilize its elements of eros-psyche and logos. So, soulfulness as an element uh, in the constellation of the imaginal, and that's more than heartfulness. It includes heartfulness, but it's actually more than heartfulness more than just the, uh, the being touched uh, in the heart. Next, uh, the imaginal is, 
could actually be conceived as more as a way of looking at something than the thing itself, than the object itself. So we could say in the constellation of the imaginal, which includes the subject and the object, um, the uh, what's key, a key aspect, is, is the way of looking at the object and the way of conceiving. And part of that is that it includes the awareness of the energy body in this very integrated, very sort of um, sensitive and responsive way. And it's part of the way of looking that, uh, if you like, makes or supports something to be imaginal. And lastly, um, the when we are uh, with an image, we have this when we're with the imaginal or an imaginal object. We have the sense that it 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 kind of is part of a bigger context of the imaginal. Uh, it's part of what uh, Catherine and I sometimes call the concertina of images, or the concertina of the imaginal. In other words, this is one image, but we have a sense either uh, sometimes uh, directly right then in the moment, or palpably or sensibly right then in the moment, clearly, um, and sometimes much more vaguely, much more kind of intuitively, of other possible images, um, possible other imaginal objects, if you like, waiting in the wings of the theatre, so to speak. Um, so there's that sense of the concertina of uh, the, the context, the imaginal context. Okay, so there's a brief list of, say, 18, or depending how you count it, maybe 20-something, uh, elements of the constellation of the imaginal. And I said, come back to uh, many of those in more detail and expand them, um, expand on them. I, uh, as I said, I'm cautious here, and I'm wanting to walk a little bit of a tightrope. Um <clears throat> Uh, so as I said, we might, um, our understanding, in, in our understanding, we might conceive of a spectrum of experiences that involve the imagination. If you like, culminating, one end of that spectrum is the um, authentically imaginal, if we can use that word, or the fully imaginal. Again, I'm not quite sure about those words. but um, So I feel a little ambivalent here about, about churning out a list like that or stipulating a list like that. Um, now, you probably know this about me already, but I, I can um, admit that my perhaps my personality type, my tendency, is, is to be quite picky um, and uh, precise and fussy. Um, I am perhaps a quibbler by nature. Um, some might say I'm a quibbler by trade, but um, I... Uh, to me, that's just my, my tendency. So I'm aware of that tendency, um, and I, at the same time, want to encourage a kind of generosity or amplitude in these teachings so that a certain looseness is required um, to kind of balance out or at the same time as this kind of um, fussy precision that um, is perhaps my tendency, but I think is also quite necessary if we're really going to get the, the power and the potency out of these teachings. Um, If, you know, and I might as well share as well, if I have a fantasy or a hope of a, of a kind of, at some point in the future, a kind of creative sangha uh, contributing to and developing these directions in practice, these logoi, these conceptual frameworks, these ways of practicing, then I think both a kind of looseness and a kind of rigor of discernment and precision and clarity are going to be necessary to allow that potential um, of uh, kind of communal creativity to actualize. Um, just as in the arts or the sciences, the, the ability to create and discover in those fields, it, it needs a clear common ground in understandings um, and could say a developed kind of mastery, if you like. Again, I use that word with caution. Developed mastery um, of uh, the, the history of uh, its tradition, whether it's a painting or um, jazz or you know classical music, whatever it is, 
Um, and then, based on that, can come a kind of uh, new creations, new discoveries out of that um, grounding. So I, I, I kind of, my sense is it's similar here. And so we need a certain precision, a certain um, kind of um, yeah, subtle discernment that's quite rigorous. And we need a certain looseness. Now, uh, many of you, um, just again about the relationship to lists, um, I know uh, one, one or two of you, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe no more, one of the two, two of you actually like lists, uh, like you like when the Buddha gives lists and you like when I give lists. And, um, but there are, I'm guessing, there are probably... Many of you who actually hate lists, and it turns you off. Um, it may uh, help that latter group um, to know that I, I feel quite ambivalent about lists, actually. Um, sometimes, though, when one is teaching something that's relatively new, um, lists can, list can be a kind of good heuristic, a good educational tool um, or device to... Um, to stretch and light up the awareness and the discernment where it might otherwise just not notice what is new. We tend to hear what we already know and, and kind of hear within a box. Um, so lists sometimes help stretch it. You say, oh, what was that number number 12 on the list? Hold on, what does that mean? Am I, am I including that? Am I thinking about that? Is that in my awareness? Um, so it helps us to notice what is new and different um, outside of our habitual conceptions. Um, however, uh, lists can also get dry, you know, and if care is not taken, um, what I think is even worse is they can get regarded as kind of atomic truths, um, which I'm a little, uh, you know, I get, I get a bit nervous about. But I'm ambivalent partly because I, um, partly because of what I just said, partly because I don't want to discourage you, and you, you might hear that, God, all that's on the imaginal, I'm nowhere near that, I don't know I've no, I don't know what even you're talking about, and this thing, and that kind of dimension of experience, and this and that, and so, so I, I really don't want to discourage you, I rather want to encourage, and what I'll come back to later on in this first group of talks, is you'll actually see that I, I'm the elements of this list actually each end up being a kind of ignition key for deepening the imaginal experience and practice. So it's not um, just useless pedantry and, and pickiness. I'm actually pointing to these things and um, these elements because um, awareness of them and turning towards them, as I'll explain later, can actually um, uh, deepen the practice. They are keys to igniting and deepening the whole imaginal opening and soul-making opening. I'm cautious and treading a tightrope for another reason, even more of a subtle reason, um, is that if you've been following the teaching so far over the last couple of years, um, if you've been following closely, you'll recognize the fact that um, imaginal and soul-making experiences are uh, dynamic. They're not static experiences. They're um, because, um, as we've explained in previous talks, um, the uh, soul-making dynamic starts to uh, involve um, the other elements, so uh, the eros and the logos, or the image, and they start to deepen and widen and enrich and fertilize and complicate each other. Um, that's a dynamic. It's moving. It's on its way. It's expanding. It's enriching. It's complicated. It's getting more complicated. It's deepening. And then also, as you may remember if you've been listening closely, when something, um, uh, when there's a imaginal perception, then not just the object, but eventually, at some point, the sense of the self becomes involved in that um, imaginal constellation. So, subject and object, self and other, and then the world too in cosmopoesis and the eros itself. 
and uh, and within all that there's as, as we alluded to earlier there's this kind of infinite echoing and mirroring and at some point the in in the dynamic all this is a process it's happening it's um it's expanding and enriching and at some point the self image um becomes actually uh one's whole life one's whole storying if you like it's not just this moment now without past without future and and as i said something uh of um uh, the relationship with and the concept of time is opened out and altered um, but the but the main point now right now is that there's a dynamic so how much um of this uh or what stage if you like of complication and enriching and deepening and widening of the eros of the psyche of the logos what stage of involvement of the self and the world and the and the image of the eros or the logos of the eros is are we at at any moment um in in relating to an imaginal object you understand and at what point in that dynamic in that unfolding in that um uh, process of of mutual enrichment and involvement deepening complicating at what point are we going to say now it's imaginal so i might have all the beauty and the meaningfulness and um theater and all those other things with the imaginal object but the self is not quite fully involved yet as image it hasn't been drawn into and involved in the um in the imaginal complex in the constellation of the imaginal am i going to say that's imaginal or not imaginal it's a little bit arbitrary so that's a, another reason more subtle if you like why i'm a little cautious about sort of throwing out these lists that can easily become sort of uh, canonical or rigid or um you know too too uh, formulaic and stipulative so there is this spectrum um clearly something like papancha is uh, imagination in in a state of papancha is not imaginal neither is it imaginal when we do a straightforward meta practice um necessarily um and there's this kind of uh, uh, spectrum yes a gradation of uh, uses of the imagination that we could say get more and more imaginal and at exactly what point we we uh, say now it's imaginal that's uh you know we could we could uh, argue that So what that means as a practitioner one wants to maybe listen to all these uh, elements and say well how can i move uh, towards more of that uh, the fuller end the more authentically or or more yeah fully imaginal end of things how can i enrich my experience deepen it open it out make it more fertile so it's not so much about judging oneself or measuring up or something it's the kind of direction we're interested in and you know for me that the clarity is important uh we're really talking about something other than just the use of the imagination or something just mythic or whatever thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org/donate